Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Gerald Alley, founder and CEO of Conreal LP, a construction and real estate firm in Texas, as well as in the southwest of the United States. Gerald, you're also an alum of our college and thrilled to have you on this podcast, the Be Epic podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me to this. I really appreciate it. Now, you're also on my executive advisory board and you've been on the board for quite a while. Thank you for, for serving in that regard. But maybe more importantly, you're about to be inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. And congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. You know, there's only four people that are inducted each year. And as you know, we have hundreds of nominations. So it's quite a uh, recognition of your tremendous uh, accomplishments. I'm honored, first of all, and I'm very humbled by that honor because I looked at your previous inductees and never in my wildest imagination I would even consider I would be in that group that would be inducted because it is an outstanding recognition of legacy of time in the area of business and in life. So I'm humble by it, I appreciate it by it, and I'm just glad to be honored in that way. What city did you grow up in? I grew up in Pine Bluff, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, uh, which you know is about 45 miles southeast of Little Rock, uh, and grew up there all the way until I left to go to University of Arkansas. Matter of fact, celebrating my 50th year since uh, I left from Pine Bluff to go to Fairville at the great age of 16. How did you decide to come to the Walton College? I know it wasn't called that back then, but. To be honest, my mother put a gun to my head. <laughs> I mean, and she did it from the standpoint of challenging me because the University of Arkansas was a new horizon, Chief Thayer. Back then, it was uh, uh, African Americans were really sort of restricted to go to, uh, at that time, it was Arkansas AM and M, which is a historical black college right now. So it would have been an easier route for me to go across the street to the local college. Chief felt like that if I was taken to another environment, that then I would have to adjust to that, and then the guidelines of trying to perform would be challenged. I did it in the summer and I started in the fall and that's when I faced my first challenge. And that challenge was, I went from nine hours in the summer to 16 hours in the fall and the whole requirement of classes became dominant. The socialization, the campus grew from maybe 2,000 on campus to 15,000 on campus. So. The environment was different. The classes were packed, stacked behind each other by midterms. I did something totally, which was in my DNA. I said, well, okay, I'm going to get here. Instead of standing in the dorm, I'm going to move off campus. Rule number one, you don't move off campus. And besides that, I need to have the party house off campus. So that was rule number two. <laughs> so that should give you indication that my environment didn't breathe toward what I needed to do to 
deal with the challenges of the curriculum and the time and the pace and all this other stuff. But I really realized that at Christmas break, back then in Christmas, the semester would not end at Christmas break, it would end three weeks after Christmas break. So when I went home Christmas, I had my midterm grades and they were not, if you do anything, don't check on my freshman year midterm grades, <laughs> if you do anything. But I did come back that, that during Christmas, my mother was promoting me to go to the University of Arkansas because she felt that I could have a more challenging education my father was more doubtful because he knew my DNA. He said, he's not gonna fall in line. And when I got there Christmas, Christmas Day, he, he said some profound statement to me that just went to my core. He said, do not mess up my money. Christmas Day, I made my decision to say, I need to go back and study. So the day after Christmas, I took a bus back to Fayetteville. Now, school wasn't in, in session, but Yoakum Hall was open for a few students, and the only thing they had was a study room down at the basement. First time I drank coffee in my life. Wow. And my goal was, looking at my midterm grades, that I had to do a dramatic turnaround. So it was one of those paper chase things. For two weeks, all I did was study. So I missed not getting on probation by two basis points. Grades were not good at all, but I missed probation. That was 1969. The Vietnam War was in its heat. The lottery had just started because that was also in the back of my mind. If my number is at a certain level, I'm gone. You had a lot of uh, student unrest. So I sort of tapered that back to say, what is my purpose? And I ended up staying at Walton because it became sort of challenge for me that I like the idea of business because at the, the end of the day, they were still saying things that from a practical sense, it applied the theory and the mechanics to something that I had exposure to that I wasn't aware it was a actual business principle. The finance major at that time was really geared around how you build wealth and how do you expand from an asset. And I thought they had a good way to present that to students who probably really were not exposed because most students were really all coming from the state of Arkansas and, and they were not coming from large, sophisticated cities. So in a way we were being taught really about the world that we hadn't yet seen. Wow. And I felt that that was good because I didn't think I would get that exposure at the local college. I got a chance to go, they were having a student meeting in Dallas for people interested in advertising. And that wasn't my major, but I liked the elective course. It wasn't finance, it was retail advertising. And we got a chance to see large advertising companies in Dallas talk about brand identification, brand product, things of that nature. And again, I was in an environment in the whole group seminar. Nobody else looked like me. But I was already sort of geared toward that. And so I didn't feel that it would make me less willing to engage. And by being exposed into Dallas, which gave me an opportunity to go from Fayetteville to visit other places, let me think beyond 
what my past was. And, and being raised in a family that had a service station business where that there were at the most two to three employees, to go look at business that were a lot of people was sort of eye-opening to me. And that at that was the time, it wasn't many African-Americans in corporate America. So uh, the business school had a good segue into saying, let's bring on leaders to meet students, not just go on interview day, but come in and talk to students. And, and I really felt that that was exposure where students could engage with leaders that could ask them questions and usually, it, and then, and as a matter of fact, that's how I got my first job. Your first job after college? After college, I was taking a retail advertising class, and they had a gentleman who was the president and CEO of a department chain retail store in Dallas at that time called Sanger Harris, which was part of Federated Chain Stores, which owns Macy's and, and Foley's and and May Company stores. I normally, because I knew I was graduating and I was working full time at the union, I was the manager of the union building at night, I normally wouldn't go to that class because I didn't need that class. That day I elected to go. And to my surprise, he was the president of this store and I knew nothing about the store. And uh, Dr. Ainsworth would always encourage us, whoever you meet, ask the question you really want to ask. So. He was talking about his store and he was looking for buyers to come in and buy merchandise. And so I said, okay, let me, let me liven this up a little bit. So he was talking about, well, you know, we have about 200 buyers and it takes about three years from the manager trainee to become a buyer, what, a four years, whatever it was. So I raised my hand up and at this time, still, I had sort of edge to me and my brother was, in the military, my other brother was in the military, so I had a jacket, I had an afro, five inches wide, you know, just really living that lifestyle. And so I asked, I said, uh, Mr. Miller, I have a question. He said, yes. I said, you said that you have about 200 buyers that go from management training to be a buyer to run your store. You have about 10 stores in Dallas? He said, that's right. I said, out of curiosity, how many of those buyers are black? Class goes quiet. He said, uh, well, I, I, I really don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, let me approach it this way. What percentage of your market is represented by buyers that are black consumers? He said, well, I really don't. I said, Wait a minute, I thought you were the CEO. Dr. Ainsworth always tell us to know your customer. Ainsworth looks at me, I look back at him, and everybody could tell that my approach was more than just a business model. It was a social model, but I used the business techniques. I said, so, he said, well, I don't really know. I said, what you said is 40%. He said, no, maybe 25, 28%. I said, so, let's, let's use that, let's use 25%. I said, okay. I said, so you got 200 buyers and you got just basic math. These should have around 50 blacks to represent the product you selling to your consumer. He said, well, we just, uh, we, we, we don't really know. I said, well, 
Let me ask you another question. What is your profit margin? Could you lose 25% of your customer base and still make a profit? He said, that'd be difficult. I said, wouldn't it make sense to buy the products who you sell to consumer to have representation to buy these products? Everybody looking like, this guy normally is not here. Now he's asking this president that everybody wants a job from, questioning him. I said, so he said, well, we just hadn't found anybody qualified. So I, I go off. I said, wait a minute. You're trying to tell me that it's nobody, you're in Dallas, qualified to buy the merchandise that you sell to 25% of your market, nobody in Texas, nobody in the United States, nobody on earth. And he said, well, I don't mean they weren't qualified. They've been in the program, they just haven't become buyers. I said, okay. So you said earlier that it takes about four years. So this idea for them to make it from trainee to buy it probably hadn't hit your mind. It only hit you less than four years ago. Or well, why are they not buyers? I don't see how you would risk your profit. I'm feeling pretty good. I, I just chewed on a CEO. I never see him the rest of my life. So I'm, I'm walking out of class and he, he pulls, he said, you got a minute? I said, yeah, I just told a big wig where to go, right? And he said, uh, uh, have you interviewed with our company? I said, no. He said, well, if you don't interview, you never know the challenge. He said, why didn't you interview me? I said, well, you all came and I work 40 hours a week. He said, what do you do? I said, I run the, the, man, the, the union building at night. He said, you run the union building at night? I said, yeah. He said, what do you do? I told him what I did. He said, if you had an opportunity to interview with our company, would you do it? And it dawned on me right then and said, wait a minute, I'm not a hostile guy. This is an opportunity. I said, yes, sir, I would. I went from radical to, <laughs> yeah, I want a job. So he said, well, I get your name. We'll see what happens. Three days later, I get a personal invite from Sanger Harris to come down and interview in Dallas. So I go and I, I work Sanger Harris and I work. They said, where you don't want to work? I said, I don't want to work in toys and women's laundry. They put me in toys right before Christmas. So I did that for a while, and then they moved me up into to, to men's clothing, and I started seeing that when we would be working in bullpens as junior buyers or assistant to the buyers, that there was time at work and there was time after work. And when it came, and the senior buyer would travel around the world, buy clothes to ship back, and he would say, okay, all right, we going, do a happy hour. Everybody come, Gerald, you stay in the stock room and make sure that inventory. So it became clear the ones that were moving, the ones were gravitating toward the boss. So I got pretty frustrated because I'm saying it's not about just doing the work. It's about the connection of who you do the work with. So I called my, my counselor, my mother said, you know, I'm thinking about looking at another job. And she said, what would other job give you? I said, I don't know, I just, I'm not moving here. And she was big on education. She said, you don't need to find another job, you need to get another degree. And I'm saying, oh, mom, I just, I just got through Arkansas, I'm wow. Lady, are you crazy? You know, I barely got out of there now. So I took her advice and I start interviewing places. Meanwhile, I was looking at another job, looking for other jobs. And you know, 
it rung true that says, you never know until you asked. So after applying to different schools, I lived north of downtown. I would catch a bus, didn't have a car, catch a bus. And I keep hearing people say, well, that's SMU over there. They say, that's a private school. Number of rich kids go to school there. Even the people at Sanger Harris saw it as somewhere that they couldn't get to. I said, well, I'm gonna go with Empire, but I gotta have a different approach. So I go over to the MBA program and I asked to speak to the director of the program, asked about it, and, and said, well, he's had somebody, but you want to wait, wait. The lady was nice. And I said, I want to apply to SMU. And he said, uh, okay, you know, we only take so many students in our graduate program, and we got this fast track program, and, you know, it's pretty selective. And he said, well, why would we consider? I said, because I can do something that you haven't been able to do. He said, what's that? I said, it's easy to make rich kids richer in a generation. But you as an education institution, what have you done about kids that don't have any money? He paused and looked at me and said, what are you saying? I said, there's downtown Dallas, there's North Dallas, and there's South Dallas. How many of your students come from South Dallas? How many people you know from South Dallas? But for you to be a true education, you have to prove yourself. You can take people who have the tenacity, the will, the capability, and the desire and make them a return on your investment. He looked at me like, so what does that get? How do we get in this conversation? You interviewing me, right? <laughs> and so I said, so, and I said, I'll do this. If you let me in, I will assure you I will pay you back one day. He said, now, we have one program right now that's for full time, and they call it Fast Track. You start in the fall, and you go fall, spring, and summer. You can't drop a class. There's A, B, and you're out. No other, no relief. So, okay. So sure enough, late that summer, I go down in my apartment, open the mail line, and I look at the letter here, and I said, this is SMU, and it says, you've been accepted. And I look down, and I see the, the, the scholarships and stuff, and I added up the money and the grants, and I said, this, make, this is more money than I'm making right now. So I go back to Sanger, and I said, how do I do this? I said, first of all, I need to carry myself from the summer to the fall. So I'm just going to go in with, with all my frustrations, forget those frustrations, and just keep my head down and work. I end up in the program, went to first, I remember the first day was 114 students. And the, 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 the guy with the program said, look, we expect you guys to be leaders. You, you all come from good schools to gave you the mechanics. Now we're gonna teach you how to be leaders. So after I finished, I started working for this nonprofit organization to help small business people. And that was sort of consultant piece. After the experience at Sanger's, I really didn't want the big corporation vibe. And this is 1974, about? 75 then. I finished in 75. So as that happened, I got a call. I, I, this organization that was sort of representing small and minority business, people called me from Fort Worth and said, I hear you help 
small contractors do financing. And uh, we're looking to, to fund something of an organization to do this. And I said, okay. I was the vice president of the consultant firm over construction. I would go to the president and say, you know, we need to go after this project because we believe we can expand out of Dallas to Fort Worth. He said, no, 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 I don't think we should because we know people over there. I said, and I said, you know, I came in here not knowing what I was going to do, but you just told me not to run a race that I think I can win. You've given me the confidence I should try. I went back. I wrote the proposal. Sure enough, I win the proposal, and that's 40 years ago. Wow. So I believe that University of Arkansas prepared me for uncharted waters. It also prepared me for not saying, well, if it didn't work right at first, that the dice cast. I mean, it's sort of like you don't know what your life is until you try it. So there is a risk in everything you do. You try to calculate the best you can, but at some point, you gotta pull the trigger, and if it don't work, that doesn't mean that it's over with. It just didn't work that time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.